0: This is Blue Wire. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Driveboard Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at jreedNFL. that's at NFL. You can also find my work on cover1.net, as well as climbinthepocket.com. Today's show, we're continuing the Around the League series, and we have on Joe Fan, the senior reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. And this is a big year for the San Francisco 49ers upcoming because they're entering year three of the John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan campaign. And there's a lot of questions surrounding this team. They invested a lot of money in quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who suffered and torn ACL in week three last year. Jarek McKinnon is another player that went down with injuries, but they have been a bit underwhelming during their entire tenure. They got a lot of praise after their first draft class that included Reuben Foster, as well as a bunch of other selections and Solomon Thomas. So they had two first round selections. Neither one of those guys have panned out to this point. We know what happened with Reuben Foster and his entire off the field situation. And he is now a member of the Washington Redskins. And Solomon Thomas, a player that we touched on a bit, has now transitioned back inside to his natural defensive tackle position. Some other topics that we did discuss was the D4 trade from the Kansas City Chiefs and also the Nick Bosa selection and how that can help generate this porous pass rush that only had seven turnovers a year ago, which was the worst mark in NFL history during the modern era. We also talked about whether there should be some concerns in their secondary and how they failed to address it now that they have signed Jason Verrett, but they waited until the sixth round until they selected Tim Harris, the quarterback from Virginia. So, those are some of the topics that we also dived into, but we touched on 2019 a bit and just what the realistic expectations are for this team going forward. Without further ado, here is my interview with the San Francisco 49ers senior reporter, Joe Fan. I'm pleased to be joined now by Joe Fan, the senior reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. Joe, thanks for coming on. How's everything going with you today?
1: Hey, everything's going great, man. I appreciate you having you on, Jordan.
0: No problem, man. I just want to thank you once again. I know you're a busy guy, especially with rookie minicamps going on, and this is a bit of the downtime of the year for NFL teams, but there's a lot going on. But first I want to ask you, just how did you get started within the industry? Man, so I was a television broadcaster and was a major at uh, Chapman University. It's a small D3 school in Orange County, uh, California.
1: Um, I've always kind of had that thought of like, you know what, like, man, how cool would it be to be able to talk about sports and get paid for it? So <laughs> that's kind of – the way I approached it, and uh, after that, after I graduated, I went home. I interned at the Seahawks in I Originally, was there for a couple of years. Um, I went to Nashville and I wrote. Uh, I did some video for the Titans website in Nashville. But I've been with the Niners for four years now. Um, it's been uh, an incredible opportunity um, to get to cover and meet and uh, and get to know and tell some some very unique stories. And um, it's, you know, it's been a it's been a job that's been real good to me, and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. for
0: sure. So I have to ask you, as a person that's never experienced In-N-Out before, how is it? Is it really? Does it really live up to the hype? As a lot of people like to hype it up. Here we go. I'll give you the honest truth here. An In-N-Out burger is
1: spectacular. You gotta have a double double, (laughs) and it's unbelievable. But In-N-Out fries and milkshakes are meh. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) I would never. I think they're middle of the road at best, bottom of the pack at worst. Uh, but a, a double-double is pretty uh, pretty amazing, I'm not going to
0: lie. <laughs> it's really good to hear that, because I'm a fellow North North Carolinian, so I've actually never been to California, and I really want to experience In-N-Out whenever I do get a chance to come to California, so that's definitely on my bucket list, and I'll make sure to remember that, but we are here to talk about the 49ers, and just take me back through last year a team that did not have any or i should say they didn't shy away from having headlines throughout the year with the the jimmy garoppolo injury the jarek McKinnon injury as well a team that really was bitten by the injury bug last year so you're a guy that's in the locker room every single week seeing these guys and just take me through the turmoil that went through last year
1: it was tough it was kind of one of those everything that could go wrong did go wrong and um you know i think the thing about the NFL offseason when you know when you end with five straight wins to close the season in 2017 um you know everyone's real excited and you sign Jimmy to the extension and you add some pieces and you know there's all this kind of hype and you know surrounding the, the organization and it's justified because you know when you have a quarterback you think things might change and and so you know built up built up built up and all of a sudden first day of practice the regular season Jerick McKinnon goes down ACL that's tough because all you heard all offseason was man Kyle Shanahan's got this huge vision for how he's going to use Derek McKinnon, matchup nightmare, he's going to be used as a receiver, as a running back, um, all over the place. I mean, that's what makes Kyle Shanahan's intriguing offensive uh, offensive minds in terms of his creativity. You know, a guy like that, uh, we were all very eager to see what Shanahan's vision was. Um, and then he goes down. And three weeks later, in week three at Arrowhead, Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. I mean, I don't care what team you are. You lose your, your starting quarterback, your franchise quarterback. It's going to be a long season. Um, they're just—I don't think there are any teams, um, and very few, if any, who were equipped to sustain, uh, you know, to overcome uh, such an injury. And so, yeah, it was tough. Um, I think we put an asterisk next to the season where there were some good things, there were some bad things, but uh, ultimately, to me, I don't think there are a ton of takeaways because how much can you learn about a team when so many pieces
0: were missing? Yeah, and I'm right there with you, and I know there was a there was some magic with Nick Mullins coming into the year, and I believe it was a Monday night game where he just came in, and it was the first career start that he had, and I forget who it was against exactly. I know you probably can re- refresh my memory about it, but it seemed like the 49ers might have found their backup for the future with him, but just take me through that experience with the Nick Mullins situation. I know there probably were some people questioning Garoppolo for whatever reason, but just take me back to that magical game with Mullins.
1: For me with Nick Mullins, the cool part about that is, right, you have guys who are undrafted or late-round picks. And, um, you know, guys come in and they their tails off. And there's a lot of guys who do that around the league and never get a shot. They never get that opportunity to suit up on game day, get a start, get meaningful reps. Um, and that, a lot of times, is, you know, no fault of their own. But all of a sudden, Jimmy Garoppolo goes down, and then C.J. is struggling, and now undrafted Nick Mullins, who, to his credit, he showed up every single day. And grinded like he was the starter, and he played really well in the preseason. And then he got a shot a Thursday night against the Oakland Raiders. and He torched them. And you know, I think to me, if you look at the human side of it. So rarely do guys get that opportunity, and then when you get it, who can take advantage of it? So I think that was real neat, just to see him uh, really, uh, you know, alive in the moment um, and play big. And he was really, he was really something down the stretch. And I think. Uh, a, a great shot to be the team's backup uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, and it's a really good story, especially whenever you can see an undrafted guy really come out of nowhere, essentially. But let's just fast forward to this offseason. Once again, there was no shortage of headlines from the D4 trade to, to drafting Nick Bosa. But I want to talk about the D4 trade first. And we know pass is is an area where they really wanted to address. And I'm sure you were there during their draft press conference and where they said that, when they took over, speaking of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they wanted to focus on getting a quarterback and then getting guys that sack the quarterback. And that's exactly what D4 brings to the table. So just how did that trade really come about?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it was the worst-kept secret in the NFL. In the 49ers needed a pass rush for me. I knew it, you knew it, everybody knew it, and they knew it, right? But, you know, credit to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and their ability to stay patient and not overpay someone in free agency who they didn't feel like was the right fit, the right guy to bring in and give – you know, a big money deal to. You. And so you have to be really careful with with who you're signing up, you know, long term. And so, they um, saw the opportunity all of a sudden or it's like a franchise tag, but you know, Kansas City makes the he's on the trade block and all of a sudden you, you have the opportunity to get the guy who, you know, you believe has the best first step in football, um, has the ability to be that upper echelon pass rusher and, you know, you can get him for it. you know, it's not, uh, not not cheap, you know, twenty, twenty second round pick is Um, a fairly significant cost. But if you've now found your guy, um, you know, to be that stud, that alpha off the edge, to pair him with Nick Bosa, all of a sudden the 49ers expect their defensive line to be dominant. So it took some patience. Um, But you know they took advantage of the opportunity when uh, when Kansas City offered it to
0: them. And like you said, I really like the move for D four because we know that pass rushing help is something that they really needed. And a neat stat that I really found out about the 49ers is that they only forced seven turnovers a year ago, and I think that was the worst mark in NFL history. So that, that just goes to show you how much pass rushing help that they did need. And then it was no secret who they wanted with the second overall pick in the draft, and they take Nick Bosa. Although there was some turmoil as far as who they would select and between Quentin Williams and Nick Bosa, and I thought John Lynch had a really interesting comment saying that they really had a very even grade, but it came down to need. And that really was the biggest debate between Quentin Williams and Nick Bosa, but we all know there is no shortage of defensive tackles on the roster with DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Solomon Thomas, so it makes a lot of sense why they selected Nick Bosa, but what do you think Bosa brings to the table for this pass rushing unit?
1: Yeah, I mean, they hope he's another stud to put opposite, um, you know, D Ford, and you, know, you look at the guy who might be the biggest benefactor is DeForest Buckner. All of a sudden, you can't throw double teams at him every single down, you know, because you got the speed off the edge. And I think what you like about Nick Bosa is everything you hear is one, fantastic teammate. Two, just a guy who loves the art of pass rushing, an absolute technician with his hands. You know, he's not necessarily the, the athletic freak that Miles Garrett is, but he probably just has, you know, just as much polish, if not more, coming out. Um, you know, out of the first round pick, um, that number, number two overall pick. And so you know, they're expected to be um, an impact player right away. Kyle Shanahan said he believes he's good enough against the run to be a three-down player. You know, I think you're licking your chops a little bit if you're looking at a defensive line bookended by D. Ford and Nick Bosa with uh, DeForest Buckner, among others, in the middle.
0: The another thing I wanted to ask you—it's a bit off subject—but just the Solomon Thomas situation. Do you think he's going to slide back down inside, or how do you think his future outlook is with the team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, uh, John Lynch said that you know he he put down the rumors that they were um, you know circling him in trade conversations, and so he's going to be a part of what this team is doing at least this year. And, you know, I think it really depends how quickly. It is, because if he's a down player, you're probably looking at Solomon Thomas uh, playing on the edge on early downs, and you move inside on passing down. That's kind of the formula that he started to use last year. Um, it's some production out of him. He did so go a little bit more in the last few weeks of the season. And so um, that's probably the ideal route. Um, but again, if D. Ford um, and Bosa are, are both three down guys off the edge, then you're probably just looking at Solomon Thomas on passing downs on the inside. But um, I mean, you can never have too many defensive linemen. It's going to be rotation. You don't want those guys playing a hundred snaps. So um, the tennis um, is, kind of champagne problems, if you will, for the you know, four years coaching staff just picking out the rotations and when they're getting guys in and out. But, you know, they should be able to keep everybody fresh throughout a game.
0: Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, especially considering that's really what he played at Stanford. And he's been a bit of a disappointment. And I think there still is some potential there with him, but he maybe have played a little bit out of position. So it's really good to hear that they're probably going to play him more primarily inside, which I think is a better fit for him. But I want to move on and I want to touch on two more guys in this draft class. And the first one is Debo Samuel and At the press conference, you just saw how both of those guys' face lit up when talking about Debo Samuel just because he has a trait that they value highly, which is separation. And we know how much of a mastermind Kyle Shanahan is in scheming these guys open and how much they can flourish in his scheme. So just what are your expectations for Debo Samuel in this offense and how Kyle Shanahan is going to use him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan is viewing this guy as a potential number one guy. and He's a guy who, you know, Kyle felt... In love with him at the Senior Bowl, they fell in love with the person. They fell in love with the player. They got a chance during the week in Mobile. He was on their South team roster that they coached, so which you know you really see the benefit of the Senior Bowl and the advantage that you have when you get to coach it. And so um, you know they decided Nebo um, was a guy they were in love with that, that continued throughout the rest of the pre-draft process. And um, they view him as a guy who can do everything. He can play everywhere. He can you know a, a guy who can um, you know one. Take the top off of the defense, but two, I and mean, just what he does after the catch is, is so impressive. I mean, you look at, I got, you know, pairing him with a guy like George Kittle, I and mean, you have a couple of weapons on your offense now where you know, the play might be just starting when they get the ball in their hands because they're so good after the catch, breaking tackles, getting those extra yards. And so, you know, like I said, between the separation, between the physicality, um, a guy who plays angry, um, a guy who's able to make contested catches, has a full route tree, running that pro style system uh, out of South Carolina um I think you know Kyle Shanahan's looking at the sky's the limit probably for Debo Samuel
0: and that's really a perfect segue into the next guy that I wanted to talk about considering he's a do-it-all type of player and I think that's the plan they have for him and that's Jalen Hurd the wide receiver from Baylor everyone knows the story how he's a former running back at Tennessee and I love how Kyle Shanahan just left the options open with him saying he can be a tight end receiver or even a running back at some time so just what are your expectations for him also, and how do you think he can be implemented or incorporated into Shanahan's offense? Man, you know what? Every year, one of my favorite
1: things to draft the draft, is, like, I contact every college program, and I ask to interview the head coach for all the 4 ers draft picks. And I talked to um, Matt Rule at Baylor. And obviously, right, no coach is ever going to talk bad about one of their former players. But, you know, you can also, it's probably fair to say that, you know, no coach is going to go out of his way to say things they don't believe in either. And, man... I've never heard a coach gush about a player the way Matt Rule gushed about Jalen Hurd. Called him, in his eyes, a top-ten prospect, which, obviously, easy to argue that one, but still, it just goes to show you just how much he loves the person and the player. Uh, You know, he called him um, the ultimate combination of a dominant athlete. I mean, the size, the speed, the physicality, um, you know, the ability to play at multiple spots. Again, you look at that versatility even more so than Debo, Debo Samuel, where you can truly line him up. Anywhere in a formation. Um, Again, Kyle Shanahan, uh, he's got a lot of tools at his disposal. Uh, He's got to figure out how he's going to make it all work, but I'm sure he's in the lab right now figuring out how he's going to make it all work, get everybody on the field. All of a sudden, you've got uh, a lineup with George Kittle, Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Jericho McKinn. Where's he lining up? Where's Jalen Hurd lining up? Uh, And that's a lot of, you know, that's a potential headache for a defense when they're trying to match up with everybody.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest or the best aspect about this entire lineup that's going to take the field next year because you really don't know where certain guys are going to line up because they're also interchangeable. So I'm really interested to see exactly how that goes. But two more questions and I'll let you go. Before continuing on with San Francisco 49ers senior reporter Joe Fan, here's a word from Blue Wire's newest sponsor. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. Making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Blue Wire Podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No matter ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers, you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code blue. That's B-L-U-E. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. I thought they would have addressed the secondary a little bit sooner than what they did. Yes, I know they signed Jason Verrett, but they waited until the sixth round. When they selected Tim Harris, the cornerback from Virginia, outside of that, you have Richard Sherman and Aquila Weatherspoon coming back, who I think are very good players. But there is some desire left to be there, in my opinion. So, does it concern you a bit that they waited so long, or they lacked addressing the secondary more than they did? I don't know if it concerns me, but they certainly doubled down on what they already have. And to me, they weren't surprised. To me, it was obvious
1: that they weren't earning anything because they said so all alone, that they are much bigger believers on who's already in house than the rest of the country seems to be. And they are aware of that. They are aware that fans and media and people around the country aren't fans of Jimmy Ward, aren't bought in on Joukowsky Tart, aren't bought in on a Keller Witherspoon, have question marks about Jason Barrett. You look at another guy, Traveris Moore, third-round pick last year. You know, If you take a, a guy in the top two or three rounds, all of a sudden you're waving the white flag on guys you've drafted fairly highly invested in in the last couple of years. Uh, I think they, they were, hey, we believe in Kelly Witherspoon. We uh, believe in Tavarius Moore. We believe in Adrian Colbert. We believe in Jimmy Ward. We believe in Marcel Harris, Jaquas, guitar. Right? There's a lot of names there. Only using a couple guys to step up. And we believe putting everybody in a competition, somebody break themselves and rise to the top. You know what? And if it doesn't work out, then we can address it next year. We had other needs that we felt were a bigger priority, such as inside linebacker with Corn Alexander, such as edge rusher with Nick Bosa, Um, and D Ford, such as wide receiver with uh, guys like Debo Samuel, and Jalen Hurd.
0: And that's a really good point, because I think some fans are really so quick to move on that they don't really believe in upward progression or development, I should say. So, I was a fan of Akilah Witherspoon coming out, and I think he showed some flashes the few years he has been there, and I'm really interested to see if he does take that next step next year. But I want to talk about the 2019 season and what are your realistic expectations because this is a division that is very tough. The NFC West, you have the NFC champion reigning, winning NFC champion reigning Los Angeles Rams, the Seattle Seahawks, who always are going to have a good team. And then you have the Arizona Arizona Cardinals, who I think had a really good draft. So what are your realistic expectations for the for the San Francisco 49ers in 2019?
1: It's a fantastic division, no doubt, but I think you have to look at it. You know, Eight and eight should be the floor, and that should be certainly attainable. I mean, I think people forget how, how slim the margin is. And I, I say it you know, all the time and try to you know, bring perspective back to the conversation is you know, just because you were picking second overall in the draft, look at all the games, not that you, you know, just could have won but should have won last year without Jimmy Garoppolo and Jarek McKinnon and everybody else who was IR. I mean You look at Arizona Cardinals times two, the Green Bay game, the New York Giants at home on prime time. Um, and there were a few others where you were right in it. You used to have the players to make those plays at crunch time, uh, closers as Kyle Shanahan likes to call them, um, and make those big prime time moments. And so um, that's the difference between good teams and marginal teams, is who can finish in the fourth quarter. And so now you've got Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, really it's up to him. What's he going to look like? Is he going to be the guy who you saw the last five games in 2017 if he is There's no reason why the 49ers shouldn't be in playoff contention all the way up until the bitter end.
0: That makes a lot of sense, especially with this team entering year three of the Shanahan and Lynch regime. I think it's really time to show some progress, but they just haven't had a full slate of guys to do that. So I'm interested to see if they can take that next step next year. And I think they fully can do that. But this division is going to be really tough. But Joe, where can everybody find you on Twitter? And do you have any upcoming projects or recordings that we should be made aware about?
1: uh you can follow me on twitter at joe underscore fan with two n's uh i got a couple things uh i'm working on but uh you know it'll be posted on twitter and so uh just stay tuned there
0: okay once again thank you so much for coming on joe hey thanks so much man it was a pleasure really great insights right there from joe once again i want to thank him for coming on he's always a great interview and a person that i highly respect and one of the best senior nfl reporters out there not only in san francisco but throughout the entire nfl I really hope you guys enjoyed his behind the scenes view of exactly what's going on in San Francisco, a team that has a lot of expectations heading into the season. And they kind of were the new darling on the block, especially after they made the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. But now some of that luster has worn off entering year three. This is a big year for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, a tenure that is really tied at the hip together. And and there are some reports out there that has been a little bit of collusion and some disagreements about exactly the direction of the organization. So it will be interesting to see exactly what's going to happen with this team going forward. And this is a huge year for them, especially with how tough the NFC West is. The Seattle Seahawks are only getting better. The L.A. Rams aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And the Arizona Cardinals have a new leader in charge now with Cliff Kingsbury and also Kyler Murray under center. So a lot of eyes will be on this team, not only in 2019, but also 2020 and also going forward. So we're going to take a bit of a break from the Around the League series on Friday's show, but I'm going to welcome a very special guest onto the show. I don't want to reveal it right now. He's a very special guest one of my favorite players throughout the nation a year ago and I want to see if he can bounce back this next season and that's something that I really want to talk to him about. I can't wait to reveal exactly who it is. You guys are going to really enjoy it because he's a great interview. I've interviewed him before not necessarily on the show but behind the scenes I've had a chance to talk to him a multitude of times so I'm really really excited to have him on but before we get into that I want to thank you guys once again for listening to the show. The Around the League series will pick back up on next Monday. But on Friday's show, we're going to have our first player interview of the 2020 draft class. So be sure to stay tuned into that. Be on the lookout for that. But if you subscribe to the show, the show will automatically be downloaded to your phone. You do not want to miss this interview on Friday because you're going to love just his perspective and insights on the game as a whole. But once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at jreidnfl, that's at NFL. You can find my work on cover1.net, also ClimbingThePocket.com. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. And I just want to thank you guys again for listening. I'll see you again on Friday.